Welcome to another Office Hours podcast. Thanks for listening in. I'm Kevin. With me as always is Radney. Hey, Radney. Hey, Kevo. So Radney and I have been talking about steps to prepare your company for funding. And today we want to talk about incubators and accelerators. For those of you listening to this podcast, you may be currently in an incubator or accelerator program, or you may be considering joining one. We want to talk about some things that we do like and don't like and some things to watch out for. So let's start, Radney, with incubators and accelerators. Are they the same thing or what's the difference? What are your thoughts there? That's a great question. Oftentimes, the words are used interchangeably. And I think that's because there never really was a well-fleshed-out differentiator between them. It's not like a stark line in the sand. But I think high-level, there is a difference. An incubator is a program that is for an even earlier stage company, right? Just incubating the idea. Is it even really a company at that point in time? Exactly. You know, I would hope if you're an incubator, you required them to form the entity and have some of the most basic things in place. So you might be, but you are so early stage, right? And obviously accelerators are for early stage companies too. But I would say if you're trying to find that line in the sand and the incubator is for the incubation of ideas is like the earliest stage possible. It doesn't have like a set itinerary, a set programming. There's no demo day oftentimes. I mean, there might be, but they don't, they're not going to be investing as much money. When I think of incubator, for example, I think of Capital Factory here in Austin and Dallas, mm-hmm. right? Where they take, I believe it's 1%. They give you six months of free office space. They have a bunch of mentors that you get access to. It's kind of a choose your own adventure book. If you are a self-starter, that is a great program because you don't give up a whole lot of equity, but you can get a lot out of it if you're willing to. Now, an accelerator is a little bit further along the process. You're still really early stage. Maybe you've raised a little bit of some sort of convertible instrument, but sometimes it might be your first check coming in. And that is definitely going to have, you know, it's like a three-month, four-month program. You have like a set class schedule. You have different things you need to do, and you're going to definitely have a demo day. And it's more likely to have come with some sort of check being written for you. I agree. To add to that a little bit, I think if you have a startup or you're working on an idea and you're just hanging out in a co-working space and you take that hanging out in a co-working space up one level of structure, then you're probably in an incubator, Hmm. right? It's just a lot of like-minded startup people hanging out. The incubator is probably providing some real basic resources, a Wi-Fi, a printer, a coffee bar. There might be an attorney or an accountant or a marketing person flying by from time to time to do a lunch or to do a presentation, but there's no formal structured program. A lot of incubators are nonprofit-based. They're being put together by the Chamber of Commerce or a city or a school or a university. And also, to get into an incubator is not an application process, right? You just show up and you're working on your idea. Now, I have seen some incubators out there that will take a little bit of equity in exchange for maybe free rent. That's usually the greatest offering they're going to make. But then if you kind of slide up the spectrum, you go from co-working space to incubator, then now you're an accelerator. And like you talked about, Radney, the accelerator is much more structured. They're usually six to 12-week programs. A good accelerator will have cash to invest. They'll also have actual programs. So a lot of accelerators, you're going to them three, four days a week, or you're virtually attending three or four days a week with multiple sessions from building your product to building your team to legal to accounting and finance. So an accelerator is like a school, like a six to 12 week school for startups. And a lot of accelerators, as you mentioned, will end in a demo day. So accelerators can be really, really good. But I think what we've seen, and now it's slowed down, right? If we were doing this podcast a year or two ago, I probably would have said, 
the proliferation of accelerators. I mean, everyone had an accelerator, governmental entities and corporate venture capital and angel groups. They all had accelerators. We've seen them slow down a little bit. There was that one in Austin that we had several clients go through that we never had a good experience with, and they were in the news for imploding recently. So I think we got over-accelerated in America, and I think we're going through a little bit of a correction there, which is a good thing. But let's talk about the good accelerators. So we talk about the best accelerators out there. What do you think of? I mean, when I think of the best, it's Y Combinator and Techstars. Those two definitely have like the name recognition the most. And you have some good ones within kind of communities, like smaller one-offs, right? Like in Austin, you have like Sputnik, which does a great job. You have SKU for CPG. That is another really good one as well. So I think you can have that. But on a high level, I think of, yeah, Techstars and Y Combinator is kind of the one and two. Yeah, let's talk about Techstars and YC for a sec, because I want to get back to the industry-focused ones like SKU. I think Y Combinator sets the standard. There's probably some sort of correlation between, maybe even causation, between being a YC company and making it to unicorn status. So YC is very competitive to get into, right? Really, really difficult. Only two cohorts per year, I believe. There might be a, there might be an international program now. But it's super competitive to get into. But man, if you can make it and you get through that program... When you walk off the stage at demo day, 12 weeks later, 10 weeks later, whatever it is, you're probably walking out there with half a million or a million bucks, maybe even a couple million dollars, because that's just the quality of programming, the quality of the startups that make it in through the application funnel, and then the quality of the investor network that they have. Techstars, a little broader, Techstars is similar to a franchise model. So there's a lot of Techstars around the country, but we've had really good success with those too. You know, there's been one in Austin for years, Randy. We've had several clients go through that one. They just launched a health-focused Techstars accelerator in Fort Worth, which has been really cool. But we've had clients go through Techstars all over the country. Those are all independently operated and they're kind of networked together through Techstars Parent Coach, I believe is in DC. We've had pretty good interaction or experience with Techstars and of course, Y Combinator. I think one of the things that makes those programs so strong, Randy, is the standardization of the investment and the program process. I'm pretty sure they both take 6%. The amount Y Combinator Invest has been going up every cohort or every couple of years. And you can just look up the standard YC deal and you can see it online. It's really strong. But they'll invest a couple hundred grand. I think YC is investing 125 or 150 grand. And then they'll take pro rata rights through the next round to invest more. Techstars is something similar. And then the programming is really, really strong. But also they're using, I mean, YC invented the safe, right? They invented the safe for their program. We've talked about safes before. And so everyone's using the same instrument. Where we get into trouble is where accelerators want to use their own instruments or modifications. You ever see that, Rad, where someone has a YC safe, but now it has some extra terms in it? Yeah. I mean, that's very common. What I find little bit troubling is when you run a red line sometimes and they still have the language that says, this is a Y Combinator safe, that little preamble. And then there's red lines all over it. And you're like, you can't, that's the whole point of having that there. But yeah, people are doing that. And then if you don't necessarily edit it correctly to make sure it speaks to itself, you cause errors. And then companies will use it for later rounds. Okay. I just looked it up, Rad, while you were talking. So the standard YC Combinator deal, check this out, 500K investment. Okay, into two safes. The first one is 125 grand for 7%. Okay, straight 7%, which mm-hmm. is a lot early on, but it's 125 grand and it will be diluted. And then 375 grand in an uncapped safe with the most favored nation. 
So if it's an uncapped safe with the most favored nation, they're just saying we are essentially putting 375 into your next round, whatever the best terms that the next round gets. That's what we're going to get. But think of that risk from YC. I mean, if they don't do that round for a year or two and they have some sort of astronomical growth in between the safe round and the preferred round, and now it's at a $30 million or $40 million valuation, they're just converting into that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But I think you and I do this enough where the chances are, I mean, right. granted, it is a YC company, so they probably have a better chance of jumping into that equity round. But if they only have 500 k in financing, the chances are they're going to do another convertible instrument. And yeah. then you're looking at, you're going to get that discount, you're going to get that yep. cap that might even be better. And then I think also that some of these accelerators like Y Combinator, Techstars, they have these favorable terms, but they also don't want to be too favorable to the right. point. So they already know they have that 7% locked in, right? And so that's a decent chunk of equity for a non-operations role. Usually that's like almost like a co-founder, like a, you know, not an original co-founder, mm-hmm. but someone you bring in in the first six months that's your, mm-hmm. you know, your marketing guru or your tech guru, that might be someone the amount you're giving them and they get that. So I think it makes sense how they're doing it. It's unique. I think they're that valuable. Yeah. You know, YC and Techstars and a good accelerator can be. I want to sidebar for a sec on the point you made about the terms are good for YC, but they're not too favorable because YC knows the score, right? They know that they have to invest into a round that can be built on top of for future rounds. And YC, the chances that they invest that 375K and then it turns into a $100 million valuation the next round, it's next to nothing. Like you said, I mean, the startup's going to have to raise money pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That money's going to have some sort of a cap or a discount on it because that's what most investors do. And then YC just, that's MFN, right? The most favored nations. They just get those terms. So how brilliant by YC to do this because it looks really, really good. But in reality, they're just saying, hey, just whatever the next guy gets, we'll get the same. Yeah. Kev, how many times have we done three convertible rounds before you get there? Right. And then that third round actually is the bridge round that we have to give some extra special terms to because the company needs mm-hmm. another 250 grand to get to the equity round. And all of a sudden they're getting that one, right? Which wasn't right. even the second one. It's the third one, which is, you know, Uncle Joe put in 150,000 to bridge us there, but we had to give him a 3 million cap. So, especially in this environment. Yeah. So, all right. If you're out there, you're listening, you're considering an accelerator. Let's talk about some things you could do to make sure this accelerator is good for you. Rad brought up a couple of industry-focused accelerators in Austin, Sputnik and SKU. There's a really nice retail-focused one here in Dallas called RevTech that I like. And a lot of our clients have gone through RevTech. I think if you're going to do an industry-focused one, that makes a lot of sense. Because if you go look at the mentors or the investors or the program, the teachers for those programs... They are going to have the specific industry expertise that will help your specific industry company. So those make a lot of sense. What hasn't made sense to me is these generalist accelerators that kind of pop up all over the place or they pop up out of corporate venture capital. They don't really know what they're doing and they're asking for all these off-market terms. One of the ones that drives me nuts, Rad, is full ratchet anti-dilution rights. Yeah. And I think that people don't even understand anti-dilution rights to begin with, right? The amount of people that think anti-dilution means that upon that next round, you just get a whole bunch of new shares issued to you. Like that's not how it works, right? This is for another day, a much more in-depth venture day, but anti-dilution really refers to in the event of the preferred shares converting into common in the future upon an exit, that it changes the number of shares you get at that conversion time, right? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more complex, but full ratchet, you're right. It's not market. It's a very off market term. And it essentially gives that previous investor 
the right to convert into that comment upon that exit at the new valuation if it's below their valuation, right? Yeah. So it's like, we just own 6% for some longer period of time. Yeah. And the other thing about that is that when we say valuation, you've seen this before, Kev, right? It's like valuation doesn't necessarily, you can have a down round that actually is a higher valuation right. than you raised before because you have a big option plan and you mm. issued a whole bunch more shares in between and you gave some warrants and things like that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, we increased the valuation by $3 million, but really the price per share is mm. 10 cents lower than the last round. And that's technically a down round. And people don't understand that and think, well, my valuation is higher. But it's like, and with full ratchet, these previous people get this 10 cent discount on that conversion, which again, is just not a market term. So you got to be careful for full ratchet. I do see some accelerators will have a very, very limited full ratchet up to like 100 or 200 grand in capital or within three to six months. And that makes sense because it's not necessarily fair to the accelerator to jump into the accelerator, give them 6% and then go ahead and issue another 10 million shares to your mom. And I understand that and we don't want to take advantage of accelerators. So limited anti-dilution rights are fine, but these long-term full ratchet ones, those are very difficult to stomach. The other one that frustrates me is perpetual pro rata rights. I understand if the accelerator wants to invest in the next round and why commenters essentially doing that by saying, here's 375 for the grand for the next round. That's fine. That makes sense. They should invest in the next round. But if the accelerator doesn't invest in the next round, they don't get to keep that pro rata right. Boy, nothing holds up a deal more than being there at close and rad, we're in a deal right now where we gave pro rata rights to an early stage investor. We emailed them back in late April and said, hey, we're doing going through this round. Do you want to participate? Never heard back. We're getting ready to close this week. They just emailed and said, hey, we're just checking in. Do you guys ever close that round? I said, well, we're closing it right now. Do you want to participate? They said, well, let me think about it. The person who makes that decision is out of town. So we're going to think about it. It's so incredibly frustrating. If they end up participating, we have to pull some allocation from someone mm -hmm. else because the round's already fully subscribed. And now we're just adding thousands of dollars of legal expense to something just because they were being silly about it. Yeah. And the thing is that they had a timeline in which they should have responded. But for everyone out there, these are your investors. And if someone comes in and wants to participate and has been there before, just saying, hey, you only have this much time. There's no way I'm going to like let you invest isn't a great relationship. Building. Right. To that point, I told the client, we don't have to. We can mm -hmm. box them out. Like we gave them proper notice. They had 30 days. We, we can box them out. But the client, like you said, says, well, this relationship, these guys could make this other introduction to us in the future, which is very important. And they control this, which is important to us. So yeah, let's go ahead and deal with this. Yep. Yeah. So another point that I want to make about complaints I hear, frustrations I hear from clients with accelerators is unstructured processes. I think a lot of these accelerators are new. They're not exactly sure what they're doing. They think it's a good idea. Like most startups, no one ever actually predicts how much work has to go into just making anything happen. And so people get these ideas for an accelerator, then they get into it and they think, man, this wasn't a great idea. So if you get accepted into an accelerator that you're not familiar with, ask them for founder references. Say, hey, can you give me three or four founders who have gone through your program, maybe who had a similar industry focus as me or similar company to mine, so I can reach out to them and see what they thought? I would love to talk to someone. And if they can't readily provide those references, this might not be a good fit for you. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes when you're in that earliest of stages and you're considering an accelerator, building a business is hard and being a self-starter and creating goals is difficult. And sometimes jumping into an accelerator seems to make sense, right? It's something you can do. It makes you feel like you're moving the ball forward, right? And so 
it can be with the right ones. And if they give you those founder references and they've helped people in your industry before, man, that could be a great fit. But you want to caution from just diving in and doing something like an accelerator because it makes you feel like you're moving the ball forward. Right. So this is why it's good to have a good mentor or have a good venture attorney that can talk you through these things. Radney, we talked about the standard YC terms. I just looked up the standard Techstars terms. I thought it'd be good just to share them so we can compare them. It says Techstars invests up to 120 grand in each of our accelerator startups. We purchase the right to 6% of the company's fully diluted capital stock at the qualified financing and provide 20 grand up front. So they're going to take 6% for the program with $20,000 cash. And then they get that immediately prior to the next financing. So there is some limited anti-dilution there. And then they take the right for another 100 grand. So realize YC's 500 grand. Yeah. Techstars is 20 grand with an option for another 100 grand and then limited anti-dilution up to 250K. The Techstars program can be really, really good. So I wouldn't let that money be the sole determining factor. And obviously, if you can get in the YC, that could be career changing for you or company shifting. But just make sure you understand what the standard terms are. Go match them up. If you've got some brand new accelerator that's trying to tell you that they're going to take the same terms as Techstars, well, if they're not as well established as Techstars and they're, you're giving up the same percentage, let's try and apply to Techstars, right? Get into something that's a little more well-established. Yeah. I had a conversation with a client maybe three months ago on this exact topic. And I was giving them like, Hey, this is what Techstars does. This is what this other accelerator does. And, and they were going, thinking about going with an accelerator that's brand new. And I said, Hey, I know that most accelerators don't negotiate terms, but these guys are new enough. Just negotiate the terms, see what they do. And we were able to get the cap on the note that they wanted mm-hmm. doubled, right? Because they saw real value in this startup. And for those early stage accelerators, they need W's, right? So if they really like you, if you're a good startup and you see real value and you're building something for some of these non-mainstream ones, like don't be afraid to ask for different terms because the worst you're going to get is a no, but there's a chance that they need you in there enough that they're going to do that for you so they can get a W, right? That helps them for the future to be able to set terms and be like a Y Combinator or a Techstars. Yeah, they're not going to throw out your application because you asked to negotiate yeah. the terms. And we got to realize all these accelerators are for profit. So they're ultimately trying to make money. And that should help guide you as you evaluate their terms or as you think about if we're so attractive, can we get some better terms in with them? Yeah, I think to that point, Kev, like we talked about incubators just briefly, and you point out how some of them are nonprofit, right? So that's another thing to think through. These accelerators are all for profit, they fit in the venture model, right? They're not a VC fund but they're basically a fund, right? They're Mm -hmm. making a bunch of small bets. They're taking some equity in them. They're putting some cash into play. Yes, they teach you. They bring you mentors and stuff. But there are incubators out there that are nonprofits. Like one that comes to mind here in Austin is Div Inc., which has a very specific purpose, right? For minority and female founders, but they take no equity. And they historically have been able to cut, not a sizable, but they cut a a grant check to each Mm -hmm startup, right? And honestly, when I've been to their demo day, I've been to their programming, they put together excellent programming too. So if you're listening to this and you're a minority or female founder, that's a great program to look into because they train you up as good as almost anyone out there in a lot of ways. And they are more for that incubator stage, I would say the necessary accelerator stage. So you could do Div Inc. and then go into Techstars or go into Y Combinator, right? But there are these nonprofits out there that are worth looking into if you are more of that incubator stage. I love what you said about treating accelerators as a venture fund. They really are. We've set up a couple of them, actually working on setting up a new accelerator 
in conjunction with basically a GP in a university right now. And the way we're setting it up, we're going to have to go raise money for it. It's just like a venture fund. And we're going to go out to these investors. We're going to say, look, you've got three benefits here. One, you're going to have indirect investments through the accelerator, but you'll invest in the accelerator. The accelerator will invest in the company. So that's benefit number one. Benefit number two, and we think this might be the most attractive one because this is a very specific industry, you're going to get the first look at these guys. So when we get to demo day, you want to be the one that backs these guys. You're going to have the right of first offer, right? You'll have a probably like a two or three X pro rata, right? Based on whatever you invest into the fund. And then three, you get the warm and fuzzies of being involved in the startup ecosystem and helping out and coming and speaking at, during the program and being an expert or maybe assigning mentors to the program or even to individual companies. And that'll be really fun. And so far, we've had some pretty good feedback and there's a lot of big corporate partners who this is a little easier way for them to get involved than trying to launch their own fund or trying to do venture capital on their own. And they like this part of being able to take first look at a larger investment thereafter. So I think that wraps up our conversation on incubators and accelerators. Really appreciate you listening in today. As always, thank you, Radney, for working with me on this. In closing, you can find show notes for this episode with timestamps and links to references and resources on our website at bellawood.com forward slash podcasts. You can also find several other podcasts you may like, including our newest podcast, Laws of the Game, all about the history, operation, and organization of soccer worldwide. Big soccer news, Randy. Messi coming to the States. I heard he's going to play here, I think, early July. July 21st, they said. Is, is that day. what they said? All right. Yeah, it was announced, I think, the other day. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. He, he's older than you, I think. So we'll that see is how not that true. Goes. That is well, false. Okay. I could beat him in an arm wrestling match, though. <laughs> I know you've beaten at least one person in this office in an arm <laughs> wrestling match. Very public affair. This Office Hours podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love if you want to subscribe and follow us. Leave a rating and review. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast at velawood.com. Finally, thanks for listening. Goodbye. The Vela Wood podcasts are recorded with the help of Radio MD, based in Chicago, Illinois. You can find all of our podcasts on our website at velawood.com slash podcasts. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at velawood.com.